You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1901st edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 21st of October 2022. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are Adrian and Mary Grenville. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Man appears in court over double murder. Campaigners slam National Grid claim over offshore costs. Centre offers a warm welcome plus the chance to watch a free film. Waiting lists longer again at hospitals. A 46-year-old was accused of killing his wife and daughter. 46-year-old Suffolk man accused of the murder of his wife and her 12-year-old daughter last month has appeared in court. Peter Nash of Heath Estate, Great Waldingfield, Sudbury, appeared at Norwich Magistrates Court yesterday, followed by an appearance before a judge at Ipswich Crown Court via a video link later in the afternoon. The defendant, who was in a wheelchair and wearing a black T-shirt and jogging bottoms, was not asked to enter pleas to the charges. He is accused of murdering 44-year-old Jillu Nash and her 12-year-old daughter Louise Nash. Home Office post-mortem examination in respect of Jillu Nash concluded her cause of death was pressure on the neck. Louise Nash was found to have died from a stab wound to the abdomen. Nash, of Heath Estate, Great Waldingfield, has subsequently been charged with two counts of murder. At Ipswich Crown Court, Judge Martin Levitt adjourned the hearing part, part heard until midday today and remanded Nash in custody. A trial date was set for April the 17th next year, with a plea hearing to be held on January the 5th. Peter Nash was detained at the scene. He remained under police arrest for more than five weeks and he is now remanded in custody. National campaigners slam national grid claims over offshore costs. Campaigners have hit back at a national grid after the company claimed an offshore option to their controversial pylon project would cost six times the amount of existing plans. In a letter sent to East Anglian MPs, NG said offshore alternatives could amount to a total over £7 billion, while the current offshore option would stand at just over £1 billion. However, Rosie Pearson of campaign group Essex Suffolk Norfolk Pylons claimed such predictions were wrong. Instead of a fully offshore strategic grid that links wind farms and takes excess power out of East Anglia, which is the problem National Grid needs to solve, they may have presented a convoluted and therefore very expensive option. In this proposal, power comes 
on shore to Norwich before being taken cross-country to the coast. Only then does it go offshore. The news comes after National Grid sent a letter to South Suffolk MP James Cartledge admitted it had not consulted on offshore options. Chief Executive John Pettigrew said the firm had been consistent on this point and apologised if this had been misunderstood. A spokesman for the National Grid said, In response to feedback, we published a letter to East Anglian MPs and offered a further briefing to explain and share our costs for the offshore and equivalent offshore options considered for the East Anglia Green project, which reiterates that an equivalent offshore option is more than six times the cost of an onshore option. Haverhill Arts Centre has come up with an innovative way to provide both a warm space and free entertainment for people struggling to afford to turn on their heating at home. The centre's freshly opened, as of Monday, coffee bar, found where the cafe once was, is set to be turned into a boutique cinema where films will be shown for free on most days during the month of November. Dan Schumann, Arts Centre Manager and Creative Director, said the idea was to offer people worried about the cost of turning on their heating at home a place where they could sit in the warm with others and watch a classic film for free, with the added option of buying a drink or a snack if they wished. Dan said the idea was partly inspired by the current nationwide promotion of the Warm Hubs concept, in which those, those managing public buildings are being encouraged to open them up for free use by people impacted by the energy crisis. The Arts Centre is a public building and very much part of the community, and we always wanted it to be that way, said Dan. We decided we ought to offer the Arts Centre as a warm hub, but rather than just say, come in and sit in the warm, we thought, what can we do that's more interesting than just sitting in a room? The free films will be themed each week, and they include My Fair Lady, West Side Story, The Dam Busters, Churchill, The Lavender Hill Mob, and Kind Hearts and Coronets, and Judy. Sounds a wonderful idea. Waiting lists longer again at hospitals. Extra clinics scheduled to speed up treatment. More than 100,000 people are waiting for hospital and treatment in Suffolk and North Essex. Latest figures from Ipswich, Colchester and West Suffolk hospitals show an increase on the previous period with the average waiting time also rising from 12 weeks to 12.7 weeks. The total number of patients waiting for treatment stands at 106,702 of which 4,741 have been waiting for more than a year. The Chief Executive, Neil Maloney, said, Our teams continue to work extremely hard to treat patients on our waiting list as quickly and as safely as possible. Recovery action plans were in place, and he said the Trust would be increasing in capacity, running additional clinic lists, and prioritising patients based on their clinical need in line with national guidance. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust's Chief Operating Officer, 
Nicola Cottington said, We focused on treating our longest waiting patients as well as those with greatest clinical need. Healthwatch Suffolk Chief Executive Andy Yacoub described extensive waits for treatments as inevitable as social care and the voluntary sector are under-resourced and call for better ways to support people while they wait for care. Now we're going to move on to some general news. A charity has told an MP that benefits need to rise in line with inflation as it sees an increasing number of clients who are unable to make ends meet. West Suffolk MP Matt Hancock visited the Brandon Office of Citizens Advice West Suffolk on Tuesday, where members of the organisation told him about the issues facing the local community. Citizens Advice West Suffolk has seen a 19% increase in clients in August 2022, compared to the previous August, a 254% increase in energy issues and a 63% increase in benefit issues. The charity is estimating its own energy costs will rise to £10,522 for the year 2023-24, to an increase of 163% from £4,000 in 2021-22. to this is for Bury St Edmunds and Brandon buildings, which, where it has to cover these costs. Carol Eagles, CEO of Citizens Advice West Suffolk, said, We are seeing lots of clients who are unable to make ends meet, so it's a choice of heat or eat. While the cost of living payments are very helpful, they are not a long-term solution to the poverty we are seeing with our clients. And so we feel that what really needs to happen is for benefits to increase in line with inflation. Mrs Eagle said Mr Hancock was really keen to listen and had promised to speak to the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, Chloe Smith, about the up, uh, up rate for welfare benefits from April 2023 being in line with inflation. Inflation. One-Armed Bandit Raising Awareness of Rare Cancer Suffolk-based cancer surgeon Dr Lizzie Rawdon has spoken about the importance of raising awareness of rarer cancers after her own mother had her arm amputated after being diagnosed with osteosarcoma. Dr O'Reilly Rawdon, 47, who has had breast cancer herself, has spoken about how proud she is of her mother, Isabel Ball, 74, who's now calling herself the one-armed bandit. Isabel, who lives in the same West Suffolk village as her daughter, is now undergoing chemotherapy at Addenbrooke's Hospital, Cambridge, after the rare type of bone cancer spread to her lungs, meaning it's incurable. The former nurse was diagnosed in June after she broke her arm opening a cafe door, a few months after she'd noticed some swellings on the back of her upper right arm. After breaking her arm, Isabel went to the Accident Emergency Department in West Suffolk Hospital in Berry St Edmunds. Dr O'Riordan explained, After being seen in A&E, we saw the orthopaedics team at West Suffolk a week later and they said, You've broken your arm and we think it's because of a bone cancer. Isabel, 
was then sent for scans and started receiving treatment at the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital at Stanmore in London, one of only five hospitals in the UK that deal with bone cancer. Following the results of the scan and a biopsy, Isabel had her dominant arm amputated in July to give her the best chance of survival and lowest risk of reoccurrence. However, the family have since found out the cancer has spread. Dr. Riordan said, We're not really thinking about what's going to happen in the future. It's just living every day as you can, trying to be positive. I think she just thought, There's nothing to hide, and the world is so depressing, I can't just want to be positive and cheery. So let's say I'm a one armed bandit. A new dessert and milkshake bar selling all sorts of sweet treats is set to open in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre next month. Ben Hutton, the owner of Queen's Bar and Grill, has taken over a unit in Lower Baxter Street for his new venture, Crumbs. The 30-year-old revealed he wanted to set up a dedicated dessert shop after the success of takeaway trade at Queen's around the corner in Churchgate Street. Mr Hutton is hoping to have crumbs open within a few weeks. He said, At Queen's Bar and Grill we've been making cheesecakes for the last four years now. We saw the takeaway business boom in lockdown. We wanted to find somewhere we could set up for customers to take little bits and treats away. This property came up and it's perfect for us. It's right in the town centre. We will be doing our cheesecakes and cookies as the main thing, but we will also do brownies, blondies, Rocky Road, milkshakes, all sorts of sweet treats, and we are looking to open at the end of November. Doesn't it sound wonderful? High Sheriff Jamie Lowther Pinkerton visited Berry Drop-In to find out more about the Christmas charity and what challenges it may face during the cost of living crisis. He was accompanied by the Reverend Canon Philip Banks, Melanie Craig, CEO of Suffolk Community Foundation, and Andrea Pittock, Head of Grants Programme at the Foundation. Robert Green, Chair of Trustees for the charity, said, The visit from the High Sheriff has meant that we have had and met other people from different organisations. Through those relationships with them, hopefully, we'll be able to access services, ideas and finance, which will help us offer services for our homeless and vulnerably housed guests. For more details, visit berrydropin.org, B-U-R-Y-D-R-O-P-I-N dot O-R-G. Greater Anglia is the best passenger train operator in this country this year after scooping the top prize at the National Rail Awards. The company was named Passenger Operator of the Year after bringing in a fleet of new trains aimed at transforming travel on all its routes into city, suburban and local services. Judges praised the company's new trains programme with every train on the Greater Anglia network currently being replaced with brand new ones. They also noted its recent excellent punctuality and reliability results, good safety performance, ongoing station investment, its customer-focused service and upgrades 
and its community rail and station adoption. Greater Anglia's new trains are now in service on every single route in its network, with many routes now operated exclusively by new trains. The new trains are longer, have more seats, they have fast free Wi-Fi, air conditioning, an accessible toilet on every train, passenger information screens and dedicated cycle spaces. During 2021, Greater Anglia saw record-breaking punctuality across all of its routes, recording its best-ever annual average punctuality of 94.81%, which was up from 9297 in 2020. The company then achieved a new record annual punctuality figure of 95.03% in February 22. Court finds fraudulent trader guilty. A Mildenhall farmer who obtained over £765,000 in credit from suppliers has been found guilty of fraudulent trading. Wayne Parker, 35, operated under Wayne Parker Farming and claimed he was a legitimate livestock owner which enabled him to be given credit by companies. After a three-week hearing at Ipswich Crown Court, Parker was found guilty and will be sentenced at a later date. The court heard that Parker often made no attempt to settle his debts and his cheques to cover payments were frequently bounced. Parker, who previously prosecuted for posing a serious risk of spreading bovine tuberculosis, was also said to have misled creditors with delaying tactics, including claims that he had been hacked. Councillor Andrew Reid, Cabinet Member for Public Health and Public Protection, said, I hope today's outcome sends a clear message to anyone tempted to use lies and deceptions to live beyond their means, and that this behaviour will not be tolerated in our county. A Suffolk man who punched his former partner, causing her to fall over and hit her head on the ground, has been jailed for 27 months. John Morton punched the woman directly in the face and she later described feeling as though her head was going to explode, Ipswich Crown Court heard. He had also pulled her hair and punched her in the stomach and threatened to kick her. Sentencing Morton, recorder Paul Garlick said, Your conduct amounted to a concerted and persistent course of violent and coercive behaviour on a vulnerable woman. The effect of your conduct on her has been devastating. On another occasion, the victim had been at her home when Morton started shouting at her and slapping her. As she tried to leave, he had pulled her back and put his arm round her throat. When the victim returned to her home later, she found some of her belongings had been smashed. As a result of the incident, she suffered a swollen lip and bruising to her face and body. Simon Gladwell, prosecuting, said on a further occasion the victim had been at a friend's house when she saw Morton standing outside his front door with a machete for 30 seconds before returning inside. The woman had been petrified and had left by the back gate. Morton of Chedborough Place, Haverhill, admitted offences of battery 
on May the 13th last year. Assault causing actual bodily harm on August the 4th last year. And having a machete on November the 27th last year. And breach of a suspended prison sentence. In addition to being jailed, he was banned from contacting his former partner until further order. In a statement, the victim said, Morton had bullied her for many years and she was frightened that one day he would actually kill her. More than 20 people have been arrested after knives, imitation firearms and more than £7,000 in cash were seized in Suffolk as part of a crackdown on county lines gangs. Officers made the addresses the addresses during October the 3rd and October the 10th as part of the week-long national crackdown. During the week of action, a number of warrants were conducted throughout Suffolk with 24 arrests and drug seizures being made. Police also spoke to hotels and taxi companies to ensure they were aware of what to look for when dealing with young people who may be travelling with adults, as well signs that those involved in county lines, criminality, may be using the hotels. Detective Superintendent David Giles said the importance of the week went beyond making arrests. While this week highlights the continued efforts to tackle those dealing drugs, it was equally an opportunity to reach out to vulnerable members of the community. It is important to note this work never stops. We will look to disrupt serious and organised crime, drug dealing and other associated criminality every day of the year and whenever possible bring those responsible to justice. We will always be looking at how we and our partner agencies can work together to support those affected by this criminality. And now we're going to move on to a few letters. My first one comes from uh, a reader in London who is called Declan Deasy and he writes, Farmland solar ban is ill-advised. The potential plans from the UK government to ban solar farms from being placed on agricultural land are ill-advised and a prime example of backward-looking policy, which is ultimately anti-growth since it revolves, involves constriction of project development and the creation of green jobs. They also hinge on an incorrect claim that renewable energy and food production cannot coexist and ignore the broader issues of land use and planning for essential infrastructure, agriculture, climate change and biodiversity. Solar can increase the biodiversity of agricultural land and provides a cheap, secure, reliable and clean source of energy that is desperately needed as we face soaring gas prices and ever-worsening ever worsening climate crisis. Blocking the development of renewable resources is the complete opposite action needed to combat these issues. The decision to place solar, far- solar panels on farmland should rest with landowners and planning authorities and consider the benefits that the projects deliver against their impacts. Solar is a proven quick-install technology and gives farmers increases in a volatile market that can underpin their businesses for the next generation. We urge the UK government to reconsider its plans 
and direct its concerns to increasing climate change and the energy crisis. Rental sector needs to be reformed. Private renters feel ignored by politicians, yet research by homelessness charity Shelter shows that our views on housing will influence the next general election. To give a local example, 50% of private renters in Bury St Edmunds say housing policies will be a factor when deciding who vote for at the next general election. People are losing their homes on a daily basis. The government needs to step in and stop this. Years of promises to reform our broken renting system are meaningless until changes become law. The government must bring forward the Renters' Reform Bill, writes Rosemary French from Mildenhall. A birdwatcher's earthly paradise, asks Tim Vick of Woodbridge, as he writes, Last week I did a spot of birdwatching on the Star Estuary near Catawade and enjoyed the sight of quite a few different wading birds. I obviously chose the wrong spot. So at Mistley, your register, your regular correspondent, Graham Day, was privileged to see thousands of different species of feeding wading birds, according to his letter, published in the EADT on October the 12th. If I were not currently suffering from COVID, I would have rushed down to Mistley in the hope of viewing what must be a new world record for species of wader in one spot. No doubt other readers of the EADT will have done the same. I just hope that some 990 species that will not have flown by the time they got there. Action Group raised cash for play repairs. My own children are past the age of visiting play areas, so I hadn't realised that the equipment in the Abbey Gardens had deteriorated to such a degree. To the parents who are quite rightly disappointed with this state of affairs, I would say that you have to take your anger that you feel and turn it into a positive outcome. Over ten years ago, we lived near the play area at St Peter's Pit on Outrisbygate Street. It was in a terrible condition, mostly litter and broken glass with one climbing frame and two swings for older children. Together with a group of other local parents, I formed an action group and raised money from local councillors charities and the college. Supported by the council's parks department, we were then able to purchase and install all the equipment that is in use now. I'm sure someone out there who feels strongly about this could do the same for the Abbey Gardens and add to the funds that are already available for improving it, writes Annie Page from Bury St Edmunds. Concerns for the future, says Jacqueline Alsop of Lowestoft. Having watched Blunder, Truss, stumble through this week of mistakes and U-turns, hearing her say, I have listened and learned, I understand people are struggling, it is crystal clear to me that she has neither listened or understood the country's problems. There's an ever-growing number of workers striking on a daily basis, including postal workers, rail workers, dockers, nurses and now emergency 999 call handlers joining the unrest. Add to that the threat of power cuts due to gas shortages in the coming months and I feel like we've been thrown back into the 1970s when food shortages and blackouts were a common occurrence.
I, like many others, lived through the Thatcher years when we were governed by one of the most uncaring regimes in our history. This is not something I relish having to do again. But when the Prime Minister's version of listening is sticking a finger in both ears and singing la 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 at the top of her voice, I feel this is something that cannot be avoided. The country has been brought to its knees and Liz Trust is making sure it stays there. Postal Service Deserves Support Having clawed my way to the grand old age of 70, I'm able to appreciate the little things in life. Take our wonderful postmen and women. Most days we have a delivery. It may be a bill, it may be a letter, but whatever it is, it's delivered with a smile, come rain or shine. For the elderly and housebound, their arrival must bring so much joy. These people are such an important part of the fabric of our society, and yet we see them fighting for survival. We all depend on them. Be it private mail or business, they are essential to all services. That is why I feel I must speak in their favour and stand with them in these difficult times. I back them 100%. I fully understand that times change, but if we lose the postal services and the congeniality of those who will call at our door on a daily basis, then our communities will be all the poorer for it, wrote Bob Darville via email. Payment on the cards, says Clifford Davy of Stowmarket. When my granddaughter, 10-year-old Ellie, comes to visit, she usually asks, Papa, can we go to the shop? Meaning the local corner shop. It also means Papa pays. Some weeks ago, we went off, and inside the shop, Ellie picked up the basket. Some items she put in the basket... The others she handed to me. Puzzled, I carried on until we got to pay. She then announced, I have my own card now. But of course the cheapest goods were in her basket and the remaining items I still held and we paid for our respective lots, meaning Papa forked out for the dearest. On a recent visit, as we walked up the road, Ellie remarked, Oh, I've forgotten my card. Didn't take the little miss long to learn that, did it? A wise use of energy. Your letters page justify and rightly features those worrying about social neglect by this government and you report on council's insulation plans, for example. But we turn to the letter pages with a recipe for cooking a pie that takes up five hours in the oven just as energy companies are pleading with the public not to be extravagant with it from the weekend supplement of EADT, October 8th to 9th, wrote Audrey Naylor of Ipswich. When will the powers that be own up to the fact that selling off the Bartlett Convalescent Hospital in Felixstowe, which was given to the town for convalescence after treatment in the main hospitals, and also closing down Southwold and Halesworth hospitals, is the reason that we now have bed blockers that keep the ambulance drivers waiting to, over, to offload their passengers. These local hospitals were excellent at letting people recover until they were fit to return home, 
or any help that they needed was in place for their return home, providing the halfway care that was so badly needed for patients. Care in the community was badly thought out and, in my opinion, all about money. And that letter was from Margie Robinson in Yoxford. Broadband works are so inefficient. Fibre optic broadband may have its advantages, but why does the town have to be littered with multiple building sites? I counted eight in and around the town centre, where seemingly nothing or very little happens. Two or three efficiently managed would speed things up and we need less disruption to everyone. Why do notices for suspended parking go up in the full knowledge that the given times will not be kept? Our road's parking has been suspended for a week, with a threat of penalty notice for even stopping. And, with two or more days to go, not a van, worker or barrier in sight. Why is there damage to gas pipes, water mains, when we have CAT detectors and utility plans? Why is there no obligation for these companies to seal the edges of their asphalt refills to stop them deteriorating and forming hazardous ruts for cyclists and pedestrians? Many questions and nobody answerable. People rearrange times for their gardeners, window cleaners, home helps, deliverers and more to accommodate this work, trying also to find parking in already difficult circumstances and all this has often been a waste of time. What a shame, writes Regina Collinder from Bury St Edmunds. Veterans deserve better than this. As the cost of living crisis deepens, we welcome any action to prevent the very real possibility of more people ending up homeless in our streets. Since the start of the pandemic, charities have seen a rise in the number of homeless armed forces veterans seeking their help. Some report an increase of 50%. We are also seeing people with more severe and complex needs. When someone has served their country, the least we can do is to support them when they make this move back to civilian life. Yet every year, thousands of veterans end up sleeping rough or sofa surfing or living in unsuitable hostels because they're unable to access housing and they slip through the net. The cost of living crisis will only make the situation worse. The Armed Forces Covenant states that anyone who has served should face no disadvantage and that veterans who are especially vulnerable should be prioritised for support. It's vital that when someone needs help with housing, they are asked whether they've served in the forces. If they have, this should be recorded. Once identified, they can be directed towards support that's available. We are concerned that without action, things will get much worse. A more coordinated approach between local authorities, housing providers, homelessness charities and veterans organisations is needed. No one wants to see more veterans on our streets this winter. They deserve better. And that is from Richard Gamage of the No Homeless Veterans campaign. Now we're returning to some general news. Commitment to public service earns recognition. A number of firefighters, either currently or formerly based in Havehill, 
for among the 50 individuals recognised at an annual awards ceremony last week. The Fire Awards, given to honour the bravery and commitment of staff at Suffolk Fire and Rescue Services, SFRS, and Trading Standards, were handed out at a ceremony held in Ipswich. Haverhill Firefighter Mark Turley received the Cabinet Member Award for Volunteer of the Year for leading on the cadet scheme at Haverhill, along with his counterpart in Bury St Edmunds, Liam Gallagher-Borley. Watch manager Gary Smith from Newmarket and crew manager Chris Smith from Milton Hall received the Miles Hammond Trophy from Suffolk's Chief Fire Officer John Lacey, marking the actions of the crews at the incident on January the 5th at an awards ceremony held in Ipswich and East Fire Station on Thursday. John Lacey, Chief Fire Officer for Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service, said, Our awards ceremony provides a fantastic opportunity to celebrate the life-saving work carried out in our county on a daily basis, with each and every winner being fully deserving of praise and appreciation for their selflessness, resilience, bravery and commitment. Haverhill Silver Band was unable to defy the odds when it became the first ever Suffolk band to appear in the National Brass Band Championships final at the Royal Albert Hall on Saturday. The band, which is ranked 72nd in the world, finished 20th out of 20. But given that it was the lowest ranked outfit in the final and that the winner, Foden's, runners-up Black Dyke, and third-placed Corey, the world number one, are among the top six in the world rankings, the experience will be invaluable, says the band, for its future. Paul Philby, who directed almost 30 rehearsal sessions and spent many more hours studying the score and discussing progress with Tim Pennell, principal cornet player, said, We had a good day, but we found it tough going. It has, though, made the band more determined for the future and experiences will have been valuable. The band is on a journey of development. Band chairman David Stevens added, well, six of those bands were ranked in the top ten in the world. It is very important to understand the quality of competition that we were up against. Children escape injury after school minibus crashes. Two people were taken to hospital after a minibus carrying children to a school in Haverhill crashed into a field on Monday morning. The 143 in Barnardiston was blocked in both directions after the Renault minibus veered off the road and landed in a field near the junction with Water Lane and about 100 metres from Jabeth Animal Sanctuary. An eyewitness said the minibus rolled over a couple of times before landing on its wheel in an upright position. The minibus contained students from Churchill School in Chalkston Way, whose head teacher, Chris Cromodomus, said on Monday that all the children were fine. He added, I can confirm there was a minibus accident this morning involving children who attended Churchill School. Myself and another member of staff quickly arrived at the scene. When we got there, members of the public were looking after the children and the emergency services responded as well. The children's parents were all contacted immediately and arrived at the scene very quickly. 
we will continue to offer support to the children affected and to their classmates in the days ahead. Police were alerted at 8.51 by the ambulance service and the fire service was called due to reports of people trapped in the vehicle. A police spokesman said there were no serious injuries in the incident. The man texted a friend, his friend before taking his life. A Newmarket man hanged himself after texting his friend about his funeral arrangements and inquest heard. 44-year-old Daniel Drake of Green, La- Green Road was found by his wife Lydia at their home at around 5.30am on January the 13th after she had received messages from his friend Adam Briggs who was concerned about him. The inquest at Ipswich on Friday was told that Mr Drake, who worked as a car valeter, had no previous history of mental health problems. He had briefly been known to drink and drug abuse charity called Turning Point in 2019 and previously he had told his GP that he drank up to 15 lagers every other day. The hearing heard that he had last been seen by his wife around 10.30pm on January the 12th when she went to bed and left him drinking. She estimated he may have he may have had around eight cans of beer during the evening. Just after midnight, he'd sent a text to his friend requesting a song to be played at his funeral, which led Mr Briggs to message Mr Drake, Mrs Drake, sorry, with his concerns. She did not see the message until she woke up at around 5.30am and found her husband. How very sad. A Suffolk pub has been named as one of the best places in the UK to get a Sunday lunch. The One Bull in Bury St Edmunds was named among the best places in the country to get a Sunday lunch by the national newspaper The Guardian. The review by The Guardian said, One of a small family of boozers owned by Brewshed, a craft brewer in Bury St Edmunds, The One Bull, is a sparsely decorated town pub that lets its food and drink do the talking. The delicately seasonal, and where possible local, Sunday lunch menu changes each week. Currently, it's both seeing out the summer and welcoming autumn, with dishes like apricot bread and butter pudding. It went on to say, Roasts come in the form of Blytheborough pork, beef sirloin, salt-baked celeriac for meat avoiders, all served with Yorkshire pud, roasties, seasonal veg and gravy. There's local fish too. Brew shed, battered haddock and chips, or place with samphire from the Suffolk coast. The cheese board does East Anglia proud with the likes of Suffolk Blue from the Creating St Mary and Smoked Dapple from North Norfolk. Drinks include great beers but also wines from Brewshed's own shop. Vino Gusto. This is a menu that knows how to please a crowd and caters to many tastes. It's no secret that Suffolk is a trove of good food and with Lavenham, Woodbridge and Alborough all within an hour's drive this won't be the only delicious meal visitors will have. Owner of the pub, David Marjoram, said it was nice to be mentioned in The Guardian. Well done to the team that worked so hard to make it a great Sunday lunch, he added. And I have here another article about food. 
which says Suffolk is the top county for foodies as 32 restaurants have been listed in the AA guide. More than 30 Suffolk restaurants have been included in the prestigious AA restaurant guide for 2023 as the county has been crowned one of the best places for food connoisseurs. Highlights on the list include Upstairs at the Mill in Tuddenham, which became the first restaurant in Suffolk to be awarded four rosettes, and the Bilderstone Crown, which boasts three rosettes. The Unruly Pig, which was named as Gastro Pub of the Year, has been included in the list as well as the Salthouse Harbour Hotel in Ipswich. Simon Nymford, Managing Director of AA Media, said... We are delighted to publish the leading guide to the UK's top dining destinations with 150 new establishments added to the restaurant guide for 2023. From Northern Stars to the heart of England, Scotland to the capital, the restaurants in this year's guide demonstrate the high quality of culinary experiences across the country, offering delicious food and service of the highest standard. And some special, um, some venues, uh, some local venues that have been included in our area are the Bedford Lodge Hotel in Newmarket, the Angel Hotel in Bury, the Black Lion in Sudbury, the Brewers at Rattleston, the Great House at Lavenham, the Northgate in Bury, the View Restaurant in Bury and the best Western Priory Hotel in Bury. Grants and events for good causes. A town council has made grants totalling £62,000 for activities and good causes. At the latest full meeting, Bury St Edmunds Town Council discussed applications from organisations for financial help and agreed. £9,000 for the town's Theatre Royal towards the Christmas cabin and provide seats for vulnerable people at its annual pantomime. £3,038 to St Nicholas Hospice Care towards the end of life care support. £15,000 for Berry's Round Tables firework event. £10,000 to support and install a borehole at Berry Football Club to help improve ground watering. Additionally, councillors agreed to pay £25,000 per year towards the running of Bury St Edmunds and beyond to promote tourism in the town up to 2025. The Christmas cabin will be part of the town's festive offering which will kick off with the Christmas lights switched on event on November the 17th. Berry in Bloom proudly showed off its awards this week in the town's Abbey Gardens after its most successful haul in four years. Having been presented with the Gold Award Certificate at the Britain in Bloom Finals in London earlier this month, it joined four golds, one silver, gilt, and two silver awards from the 2022 Anglia in Bloom competition. Group coordinator David Irvine said that coming away with a gold award is the, in the National BID Town Centre and City Centre category, won by Ulverston in Cumbria, made for a good collection for Berry Blue in Bloom's year. He added 
This is the biggest series of awards for Berry in Bloom since 2018. This was the first time we've been able to compete properly face-to-face since the pandemic. And to end it with five gold awards as well as the silvers is such an amazing effort from everyone. This just outlines Berry as truly being a jewel in the crown of Suffolk. Road poses a danger to life. Campaigners are calling for urgent action over a key road which they fear poses a danger to life. The group of Mildon Hall residents are worried about a 50 metre stretch of the A1101 Berry Road which leads to their village after turning off the A11 at Five Ways Roundabout, Barton Mills. They say the road is covered in craters. It's like driving over rumble strips and poses a danger to road users, particularly motorcyclists and cyclists. A number have already reported the road to Suffolk Council, but they've been told the road does not warrant remedial action. It's been a problem for a good number of months, but seems to have got worse after the heatwave we had this summer, said Megan Phillips, 20, a children's entertainer who uses the road regularly. It's dangerous, and I know a couple of motorcyclists have nearly come off. Quite a few people, including myself, have written to the council without any success. They just say the holes are not deep enough. That may be true, but the fact that there are so many of them makes it bad. (coughs) According to a Suffolk County Council email, in response to the complaint, seen by the Berry Free Press, officers do not feel the road merits work based on severity and risk. Richard Morgan of Milton Hall Scooter Club, however, said club members actively avoid using the road for fear of accidents. A vibrant, happy and devoted mother of two died from hypothermia, an inquest ruled, as her family raised concerns over the level of resources used to find her. Suffolk's senior coroner heard the timeline of events after Jeanette Nettie Rose left her home in Red Lodge, West Suffolk, last November at an inquest on Tuesday. Miss Rose was last seen shortly before 10pm on Sunday, November the 14th and the emergency services were called later the same evening. That evening, clothes matching those worn by Miss Rose were found near a school with a post-mortem describing the action of taking clothes off as a common response to hypothermia. Searches had begun that evening and into Sunday with police fire and national rescue services, including 38 volunteers involved in the search for the Suffolk mum. Drones and police dogs were being used. Miss Rose's family asked questions about the search process as the court heard a family member found Miss Rose in Woodland around two miles from her home on November the 16th. Her partner, Nigel Sanders, said... How the authorities didn't find her is a mystery to me. After 40 hours of searching, they found nothing, and it was actually members of the public that found her. In my personal point of view, responses were deployed deployed in the wrong areas at the wrong times for the wrong things. Mr Sanders also told officers that the 36-year-old had had her thyroid gland removed, which affected her bodily reaction to temperature. 
Evidence given in court explained the process of the research and that Miss Rose had been categorised as high risk. Popular Abbey Gardens Fireworks Return A popular fireworks display which raises thousands of pounds for good causes is back after a two-year absence. The Bury St Edmunds Round Table Fireworks Spectacular returned to the Abbey Gardens on Saturday, November the 5th, after the COVID-19 pandemic led to the cancellation of the 2020 and 21 events. In partnership with the Town Council, the night promises a longer display, fun fair, as well as food and drink. Robert Cutler, one of the organisers, said the event, which has been going on for more than 20 years and usually attracts about 5,000 people, has raised as much as £15,000 in one night, with every penny going to good causes in the town. With the last two cancelled, there has been less money to hand out to charities in need. People ask us for funds during the course of the year, but we've been in a situation where we haven't been able over the last couple of years, so hopefully that will put us back on an even keel, he said. Picturesque Suffolk. Two popular Suffolk beauty spots have been named among the most Instagrammable spots to see autumn colour. Conservation Charity National Trust has compiled a list of the best Instagrammable spots at its sites in in the county, with Flatford and Ickworth making the list. The Flatford and Constable Trail, southwest of Ipswich, is a seven-mile walk that winds around the Stour Valley and Dedham Vale and explores the picturesque Suffolk countryside. The walking route was recently named as one of the best in the country during a recent survey. Ramblers are recommended to take the Purple Trail in the autumn as they will be able to to take in the changing colours of Orvis Wood. With formal gardens and inviting woodlands, Ickworth was also named as one of the most Instagrammable spots in Suffolk. Whether you're after a gentle stroll or long bike rides, the National Trust has recommended the Albana Walk as the maples, chestnuts, beech and oak trees range from bright yellow to deep red at this time of year. CQC Care Home Improves but Concerns Remain A care home, which was placed in special measures after residents were found to be at risk due to lack of staff, is improving but more needs to be done. Cedar Lodge in Culford, which was rated inadequate by the Care Quality Commission in April, has been removed from special measures after taking some steps to turn the service round. Earlier this year, inspectors criticised the home run by Orion Healthcare Limited for its cleaning regimes and poorly maintained environment. In one incident, a person went missing and was taken to a police station by a member of the public, but the registered manager did not refer this to the local authority until prompted. After an inspection on August the 1st, the CQC said the manager had worked with agencies to improve Cedar Lodge, but concerns still remained. Rating the service as requires improvement, the inspectors, in their report, said the provider continued not to have effective oversight of the service. There continued to be a lack of proper audits, with action plans and timely completion of essential works needed. 
An example included repairs and upkeep of the premises. Risks to people identified at the last inspection had been mitigated to agree, but not fully, with banisters not installed to prevent falls. A church on a large estate has improved facilities thanks to a funding injection and support of its members. Christ Church on Morton Hall, Bury St Edmunds, now has a new television screen that will benefit multiple users of the space in addition to the church and a recently planted acer tree with a bench around it. West Suffolk Councillor Birgitta Major contributed about 1200 from her locality budget towards the projects. The Reverend Canon Jonathan Ford, Minister, said Mrs Major's contribution was significant and the remainder of the money was funded by church members. Speaking of the screen, he said, the purpose was to improve our worship and also to make the whole facility more usable for conferences, education and training. We are coming to the end of St Edmundsbury, of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haver Hill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Ruth, Adrian, Adrian and Mary, it's goodbye. goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.